Hey, and welcome on to NBA Recap. It's Sunday, December 19th, and on today's show, we're going to be running through the best candidates for sixth man of the year thus far for every single team in the NBA. Now, obviously, it's still very early in the season. We're not even halfway done, so a lot can change between now and the end of the year, and this isn't necessarily supposed to be a prediction of what will happen, but rather it's just a review of what has happened thus far and who have been the best six men coming off the bench for each team. But that being said, I do think a lot of this will carry through to the end of the season. So without further ado, let's get into it. But first, if you'd like to follow the show on social, we're at NBA Recap Pod, or you can just search YouTube or Smart Speakers for NBA Recap Podcast. And if you enjoy the the show, consider subscribing or leaving a review. It really helps get the word out. All right, and one last note before we begin. The sixth man of the year criteria is pretty simple. You have to come off of the bench for at least half of your team's games. So by the end of the season, let's say you've played 80 games. If you came off the bench for at least 41 of those games, you would be eligible. But if you started at least 41 of them, you would no longer be eligible. And so I tried really hard to adhere to those rules. Almost every single player that we're going to talk about has started less than half of the games, except for one. And I'll explain why we cheated on that one when we get to him. But enough preamble. Let's get right into it. We're going to be doing this by division. So starting off in the Atlantic division, the sixth man of the year so far far for the Celtics has been Josh Richardson. For the Nets, we have LaMarcus Aldridge. For the Knicks, it's Derrick Rose. For the 76ers, we have George Niang. And for the Raptors, it's Kim Birch. All right, so there might be a couple controversial picks here. For the Celtics, there was two clear options. It was either Richardson or Grant Williams. So I actually flip-flopped on this one. I had originally selected Grant Williams because he's had some really big games for the Celtics off the bench, and he's actually started nine games of the 28 that he has played. He's averaging seven points, three rebounds, one assist, so not the most gaudy numbers, and he's got a 13 PER, but he's got a 70% true shooting percentage. That is really impressive. So I was initially going to go with Grant Williams, but then I changed it and went with Josh Richardson. He has not started a single game for the Celtics in the 20 that he has played in. Now, mind you that some of these numbers are from two days ago and some of them are from one day ago. So some of this stuff might have changed just a little bit by today, Sunday the 19th. But nonetheless, Richardson has just been a little bit better than Grant Williams so far. His true shooting is a little bit lower. His PER is a little bit lower, but he's averaging more points per game. And the key factor is on higher usage. Richardson is taking on more of an offensive load while he's on the court, whereas Williams is playing more of his minutes with the starters, kind of just posting up in the corner. He's only got a 12% usage, whereas Richardson is at 16. So in the end, we gave the nod to Josh Richardson for the Boston Celtics. As for the Brooklyn Nets, LaMarcus Aldridge was an easy selection. He's only started eight games out of the 25 that he has played in, which actually surprised me a little bit. I thought Steve Nash had been going with the Aldridge at center starting lineup for a good chunk of the season, but apparently not. Aldridge is definitely eligible, and he is averaging 14 points per game, uh, nearly six rebounds, and just under one assist. He's got a 21 PER, and he's got a very impressive 62% true shooting percentage, which, especially considering the shots that he lives on, those mid-rangers, long twos, he is just so efficient. Him and KD together just make it look so easy. So he was an easy selection for the Nets. For the Knicks across the East River, another easy selection, Derrick Rose. He ranks 11th in terms of points plus rebounds plus assists in the league for six-man eligible players. He's only started four games. He started a couple recently with all the injuries that the Knicks have been dealing with, but he is firmly entrenched in normal circumstances as the backup point guard. 
And before Kimball Walker got excised from the lineup, the Knicks had this nice little trio of guards coming off the bench and scoring in bunches. You had Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, and the sophomore Emmanuel Quickly. Well, Burks replaced Kimball Walker in the starting lineup, but for the most part, Tibbs has kept Rose and Quickly coming off the bench, and so they are still an effective duo. Rose is averaging 12 points per game, four assists, three rebounds. He's got a 17 PER and 54% true shooting is not bad at all considering his 22% usage. Moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers, we're going with George Niang. Now, this might be a slightly controversial pick because there's a couple of other guys that have been coming off the bench so far this season for Philadelphia that have put up some pretty decent stats. You've got Andre Drummond, the backup big man that has been instrumental for the 76ers considering the time that Embiid has missed so far this season. He has started 11 games and he's putting up nice numbers, six points, nine rebounds, and two assists in just 19 minutes per game. You've also got Shake Milton. He has been stuffing the stat sheet as well. He is the actually the leading scorer off the bench for the 76ers. He's averaging 11 points per game, three rebounds, two assists, or sorry, three assists. So both good candidates there. And then of course, you've also got the defensive stalwart Matisse Thibel, but all of those guys are pretty flawed players in one way or another. So ultimately, we're just going to go with George Niang. He's been the most well-rounded player off the bench for the 76ers so far this season. In 28 games, he's only started five. He's playing 23 minutes per game off the bench. He's only averaging 10 points, two rebounds, one assist. So to be fair, not the most flashy stats. He's got a 12 PER, but he's shooting very efficiently, 58% true shooting. He's got an 18% usage and early in the season, he was really hot. He had a couple of 21-point games near the beginning of the season, so it's possible that he could cool off a little bit going forwards. He has scored in single digits in the last five games that he's played in, so by the end of the season, I could see Shake Milton perhaps overtaking Niang for that six-man-of-the-year spot for the 76ers, but as of right now, I've got Niang in that spot. And finally, we've got Kim Birch for the Toronto Raptors. And this was an easy pick for me. He is clearly their best player coming off the bench. The only problem with Birch is the games played. He's only played 15 of their games so far, so about half. And he only started three of those, so he's definitely eligible. But in the games that he did play, he's averaging about seven points, six rebounds, one assist in only 23 minutes. Impressively, he's got a 17 PER. And I would say that, frankly, he is their best traditional big man on the roster. You've got Precious Achua, who has started many of the games so far this season, but he's very inconsistent. He makes a lot of mistakes, especially late in games, and he's a bit undersized as well. And then you've got Chris Boucher, who was the starter for a lot of the year last season, but he seems to have fallen out of Nick Nurse's good graces. He's only been starting recently because he's the only big man left available. And Boucher was definitely good last year, but I don't know. I think I trust Kim Birch just a little bit more. I would have expected Boucher to take some steps forward coming into this season, but he hasn't really improved much. And so overall, I think Kim Birch is just their best option at the five spot. Now, whether or not Nick Nurse actually wants to play a traditional big, that remains to be seen because they've got a really big lineup elsewhere in the front court. You've got Scotty Barnes, the rookie, starting at the three, and he's huge. And then, of course, you've got OG Ananobi. He's deceptively big and strong at the four. And then, of course, Pascal Siakam would be, I guess, the five in that case. But it's kind of a hybrid lineup if you had all three of those guys on the court. But there's just been a lot of injuries and guys in and out of the lineup that Nick Nurse has had to deal with. But nonetheless, I still think that if you wanted to go with a traditional big man, Kim Birch would be your best best option and he is definitely their best option coming off the bench so Birch is your sixth man of the year for the Raptors and that will do it for the Atlantic division so moving on next to the central division we've got Alex Caruso for the Chicago Bulls we've got Ricky Rubio for the Cleveland Cavaliers Frank Jackson for the Detroit Pistons TJ McConnell for the Indiana Pacers and Pat Connaughton for the Milwaukee Bucks okay so some feisty guards here in this group 
I would say Alex Caruso was an easy pick as sixth man of the year for the surprisingly dominant Chicago Bulls when they've had their full roster healthy. They've just been dealing with a lot of injuries and COVID absences recently. But nonetheless, Caruso has been really solid. The only thing is the stats don't really jump off the page. He's only averaging eight points, three rebounds, four assists. He's shooting 58%. That's really good. True shooting. And he's got a 14 PER. So the numbers are all solid. Uh, He's playing about 28 minutes per game. He's only got a 13% usage. So none of those seem that impressive. But the defense that he brings is just incredible. I think he's leading the league right now in steals per game. And he just infuses this whole team with this defensive spirit. He makes everybody want to play better and more tenaciously on that end of the floor. I think DeMar DeRozan even said as much. And so Alex Caruso, an easy pick for sixth man of the year for the Chicago Bulls. Ricky Rubio for the Cavaliers, he's been really good. He got inserted into the starting lineup after Colin Sexton went out for a little while, but he's been reinstated as the backup point guard. He only started five games in the end, so clearly eligible for sixth man of the year. Uh, But he's still playing 28 minutes per game. It's Isaac Okoro that's the starting guard in place of Sexton at this point, but Rubio, I would say, is far superior to Okoro at this point of their careers. Obviously, the other option for sixth man of the year for the Cavaliers would be Kevin Love. He's having a surprisingly impactful season for Cleveland alongside Ricky Rubio. The two former Minnesota Timberwolves have been reunited and they are just lighting up the league. And the Cleveland Cavaliers at this point are one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, unquestionably. So it has definitely been an awesome, uh, encouraging story there in Cleveland. Love is actually seventh in the league in terms of eligible players for six man in terms of his points, rebounds, and assists. He's averaging 12 points, seven rebounds, and two assists. And he's got really good advanced metrics as well. He's shooting, uh, let's see, 61% true shooting. That's really impressive. He's shooting the three ball very well. He's got a 21 PER. So Kevin Love was definitely one of the toughest omissions. He was actually the first guy to not make it in terms of being a duplicate on the same team. But Ricky Rubio is just a little bit better. The advanced stats don't necessarily reflect that. He's only got a 13 PER and 49% true shooting, but the traditional stats are really solid. 12.5 points, nearly four rebounds, and and 6.5 assists. That's really good stuff in 28 minutes, like I said. So he has just continued his stellar play after representing Spain in the Olympics during the offseason. And when the Cavaliers acquired Rubio, there was a bit of skepticism, like, why are they going for this veteran guy? It's sort of a win-now move. They're not good enough to be loading up on veteran guys off the bench, but that has absolutely been proven wrong. The Cavaliers are exceeding expectations, and Rubio has been an integral part of that, especially since Colin Sexton has gone down. So he is your sixth man of the year for the Cleveland Cavaliers. For the Detroit Pistons, it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. They have not exceeded expectations, not in the slightest. They have the worst record in the entire league right now. Cade Cunningham is coming around. He's asserting himself more, but now Jeremy Grant is out of the lineup and they're on like a 14-game losing streak. So the Pistons are really struggling, but it's not because of Frank Jackson coming off the bench. He has been one of the sole bright spots, especially in terms of their bench rotation. He's only playing about 22 minutes per game, but he's averaging over 10 points, uh, about one and a half rebounds and one assist per game. He's got an 11 PER, but he's shooting 55% true shooting. That's really impressive. And he's got a 20% usage while he's on the court. He's definitely been improving as well. He started out the season kind of slowly, but he's had some really impressive games over the past couple of weeks. He scored 27 versus the Warriors in November, and then he scored 25 just a few days ago against Brooklyn. So it's not Frank Jackson's fault necessarily that the Pistons are losing these games while the bench squad comes out there, and he was pretty much the only relevant option. So he is your sixth man of the year for the Detroit Pistons. As for the Indiana Pacers, another scrappy guard, it's going to be TJ McConnell in the same vein as 
Alex Caruso and Ricky Rubio. McConnell is just a steadying force off the bench for the Pacers when Malcolm Brogdon goes to the bench. McConnell has pretty decent stats in just 24 minutes per game. He's averaging 8.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, and nearly 5 assists per game. He's always been a per-minute beast in terms of the traditional stats. He's got a 54% true shooting and a 16 PER. So just more of the same from TJ McConnell. Steady play from the point guard spot. And he also brings some tenacious defense. He's always up there in like the hustle stats, like steals and deflections and loose balls recovered. So a good season once again here for TJ McConnell. And then Pat Connaughton for the Milwaukee Bucks rounding out this division. It's been the three-point shooting for Connaughton. Clearly, that has been his strongest point. He's shooting 41% from beyond the arc so far this season. That is really impressive. He overall has a 67% true shooting. That is incredible. He's averaging 12, 12 and a half points per game, nearly five rebounds and one and a half assist. And he's got a 16 PER and he plays 28 minutes per game. So once again, an easy pick. The only other option would have been Jordan Wara, but Connaughton shoots the ball much better than Wara. Connaughton has started 11 games. I guess the only other guy that you could have thrown out there at the beginning of the season would have been Bobby Portis. But as it has turned out, Brooke Lopez has not played at all due to that back injury. And so Bobby Portis has been the primary starter for the Bucks, And so he was out of the running for six man of the year. So Pat Connaughton is your six man of the year for the Milwaukee Bucks. Moving on to the next division, we have the Southeast. And so for the Atlanta Hawks, we have Danilo Gallinari. For the Charlotte Hornets, we have Kelly Oubre. For the Miami Heat, we have Tyler Hero. For the Orlando Magic, Terrence Ross. And finally, for the Washington Wizards, Montrez Harrell. All right, so some heavy hitters in terms of six man of the year consideration with this division to be sure. We've probably got the front runner, the second runner up, and one of the top five as well in Hero, Harrell, and Oubre. But nonetheless, let's start with Danilo Gallinari for the Atlanta Hawks. He is not exactly stuffing the stat sheet like those other guys. He is only averaging about 10 points per game, four rebounds, one assist. He's got a 15 PER, 58% true shooting. That's not bad at all. And he's just playing 21 minutes per game. He has not started a single game this season for Atlanta. There's several other guys that could be in contention for this award by the end of the year. Anyaka Okongwu just made his return, and he's a really solid sophomore uh, at the big man spot. You've also got Kevin Herter, who has been inserted into the starting lineup now that DeAndre Hunter went down. And then, of course, you've got Cam Reddish as well, who's kind of auditioning for his next contract. And the Hawks might be trying to get him as much exposure as possible to bump up his trade value. So Gallinari's definitely got a lot of competition for this award, especially going forwards for the Hawks this season. But so far, I think he's pretty clearly been their best player coming off the bench, the veteran. And so next up in Charlotte, Kelly Oubre. Now, this is a very competitive team in terms of six man of the year. There's a lot of good options coming off the bench for the Charlotte Hornets, especially considering all the guys that have been in and out of their lineup with the COVID health and safety protocols. I think Oubre pretty clearly has been the number one choice in terms of six man of the year. He started nine games, so nine out of 30. That clearly puts him in contention for this award. And he's got very solid stats in his time on the court. He's playing 29 minutes per game. He's scoring 16 and a half points per game, four rebounds and one and a half assists. He's got a 16 PER shooting 58% true shooting. That is really impressive. 22% usage. He has just been a very impactful player for the Hornets so far this season. And he had a chance to increase his stats a little bit with some of those absences that I was referring to. He was inserted into the starting lineup by James Borrego. And frankly, he was just dominant uh, during that stretch of late November, early December. There was a stretch of games where he was scoring 20 plus points. At one point, he had a 35 point game on December the 6th against the Philadelphia 76ers. And then he also had a 37 point game 
earlier in November against the Grizzlies. So he has definitely been one of the best sixth men in the NBA all season long. And it's a shame that we're just picking one player per team because the Hornets actually have several guys who would be in the top like 25. They've got PJ Washington, the backup big man. He's only started three games, but he's putting up really solid stats, 10 points, five rebounds. They've also got Cody Martin, who's had a couple of huge games. And so this team is just stacked with like competent NBA players. But nonetheless, we're just going with one. And so it is Kelly Oubre Jr. As for the Miami Heat, probably the front runner right now for six man of the year, Tyler Hero. He is by far the leading scorer out of all players eligible for this award. 20 points per game, five rebounds, and nearly four assists in 32 minutes per game off the bench. He's only started seven games so far this year, so he is clearly eligible. He's got a 15 PER, which is not quite as impressive as some of the other guys on this list, namely the guy right below him, Montrez Harrell. And he's shooting 54% true shooting, which is not quite as impressive as some of these other guys as well. But he's got a 29% usage. That is really impressive. He's basically carrying the team when the starters go out. So not only is he putting up better counting stats, but the degree of difficulty for what he's doing is a lot higher. And during this stretch where Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo have been unavailable, he's been basically their most important player offensively uh, on the entire team. So Tyler Hero, in my opinion, is by far the sixth man of the year so far in the NBA. But moving on to Orlando, we have Terrence Ross. He is putting up much less impressive stats than Tyler Hero. 25 minutes per game for Ross. He has not started a single game. And he's averaging 11 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, and 2.5 assists. He's got a 10 PER, 52% true shooting. So pretty pedestrian numbers, to be frank, for Terrence Ross. But there just wasn't very many good options to pick from, uh, as this is one of the worst teams in the entire NBA. RJ Hampton would be another option. He's averaging 7 points, 2.5 rebounds. Another guy might be Chuma Okeke, especially going forwards throughout the rest of the season. He could be increasing his per-game averages as he has recently been inserted into the starting lineup. But for now, it's just going to be the veteran Terrence Ross. And finally, rounding out the Southeast Division, we have Montrez Harrell coming off the bench for the Washington Wizards. He is probably my runner-up right now for sixth man of the year. He's averaging... 14.5 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 2 assists. He's playing 26 minutes per game. Only started 3 games, though, out of the 30 that he's played in, so definitely eligible. He has a very impressive 24.5 PER. That is one of the best in the entire league, and he's got a 68 true shooting percentage. Also very impressive. So Montrezl Harrell definitely giving Tyler Hero a run for his money, and he could potentially win his second 6-man of the year if he keeps this up, but I think Tyler Hero has probably got the award wrapped up at the moment, but Harrell has certainly been stuffing the stat sheet on certain occasions coming off the bench for the Wizards. He's just got a lot of competition in the front court. That's the problem. Daniel Gafford is the starter, and then you've got Denny Avdia, the sophomore, who's also been really solid coming off the bench uh, at the power forward spot. And then you've got Rui Hachimura coming back soon. And then Thomas Bryant, that's another monkey wrench here. So the Wizards are just flush with talent in the front court. And then another good option for six man of the year for the Wizards would be the backup point guard, Hall Neto. He's had a really solid season as well, but ultimately it's got to be Montrez Harrell. Okay, that'll do it for the Eastern Conference. So moving on to the West, starting in the Southwest Division, we have Jalen Brunson for the Dallas Mavericks. For the Houston Rockets, we have the rookie Alperin Shengun. For the Memphis Grizzlies, we've got Tyus Jones. For the New Orleans Pelicans, we have Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And for the San Antonio Spurs, we've got Devin Vassell. All right, so starting off with Dallas, Jalen Brunson, one of the best candidates for sixth man of the year. He's actually third 
after Tyler Hero and Montrez Harrell in terms of points plus rebounds plus assists. He's averaging nearly 15 points per game, four rebounds, and five assists. Those are pretty solid numbers for Brunson in 29 minutes coming off the bench. Now, he has started nine games of the 27 that he has played. He was inserted into the starting lineup in those games that Luka missed, and he was pretty solid in that time, definitely boosting his stats just a little bit. But nonetheless, in the time that he has just been the backup point guard, he has been very capable. He's got a 22% usage and a 57% true shooting. That is really impressive. An 18 PER, not bad at all. I would say the stats don't lie, and Brunson has, in fact, been the third best six-man of the year so far. There's a couple of other guys coming off the bench for the Mavericks that have been really good also in Maxi Kleba and Tim Hardaway Jr., but Hardaway Jr. has started too many games. He's actually started about two-thirds of the Mavericks games so far this year, so by the end of the year, that could change, but right now, he's not eligible, and Kleba has only started three games, but he's only played in 19, and he's averaging seven points and five rebounds in that time in 23 minutes per game, so Kleba is another guy that could come on strong going forwards throughout the rest of the year for the Mavericks, but definitely going to be Brunson for right now. Then in Houston, we have the rookie Alperin Shingun. The big man has been really solid for Houston in just 18 minutes per game off the bench. He's only started two games and he's averaging nine points, four and a half rebounds and two and a half assists per game in that time. 19 PER and a 58% true shooting. Incredible stats for the rookie in just 18 minutes per game. I mean, he is a per minute beast. I have been jonesing for Shingun to get inserted into the starting lineup all season long, but it looks like Steven Silas has wisely settled on a front court rotation of Christian Wood as the solo big man in the starting lineup. He was, of course, starting Daniel Tice alongside Christian Wood for much of the season early on, and the Rockets were struggling mightily but he has all but excised Daniel Tice from the lineup. But Alperin Shingun has remained as the backup big man alongside a couple of other guys in Kenyon Martin Jr., who was another option for this. And then they've also got the rookie Josh Christopher, who is coming on strong as well. But in the end, it was an easy pick. Alperin Shingun with those crazy per minute stats. He has definitely been the best player off the bench for the Houston Rockets. Next up in Memphis, we have Tyus Jones, the backup point guard, who, like Jalen Brunson, has been a steady force for the bench unit for the Memphis Grizzlies. And of course, the big storyline for them is the John Morant injury that has surprisingly led to like a 9-1 record. And I was curious what Taylor Jenkins would do with the lineup. Would he insert Kyle Anderson or perhaps DeAnthony Melton into the starting lineup? Well, no, he just did a like-for-like switch. Tyus Jones in for John Morant, and they have just thrived with Jones as the starting point guard. Now, is that all due to him coming into the lineup or perhaps all the other players playing better like Jaron Jackson Jr.? I think it would probably be the latter. But nonetheless, Tyus Jones has been very solid coming off the bench and in the starting lineup. Now, he's only started 10 games out of the 29 that he has played, so um, he is still definitely eligible for this award. He's averaging about eight points per game, about three rebounds and four assists. He's got a 17 PER, that's not bad at all, and a 57% true shooting. So Tyus Jones clearly has been one of the best backup point guards in the league this season. And they've got a couple of other good options for sixth man of the year as well. I mentioned Kyle Anderson already. Uh, he would definitely be one. DeAnthony Melton would be another one, except he was just ineligible for this award. He has started half of his games so far, but he will probably be eligible by the end of the season. And then they've also got Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark and even John Conchar has been really solid. That's kind of been the Grizzlies MO over the past couple of years. Just tons of capable guys. If the sixth man of the year was an award for the entire bench, the Grizzlies would definitely be in contention. But anyways, we can move on now to 
The New Orleans Pelicans, where we have Nikhil Alexander-Walker as our sixth-man candidate. Now, this is the one that I had referred to earlier, where we cheated just a little bit, because he is actually over the threshold. He is at 18 games started out of 30, so that's 60% of his games, definitely not eligible. But the reason why we cheated is, A, he's almost certainly going to be eligible by the end of the year, because he has been glued to the bench over the past couple of weeks. He was just in the starting lineup earlier in the season. And B, there's just not a lot of good options to pick from off the bench for the New Orleans. Pelicans. The only other guy that was even close to being eligible would have been Willie Hernan Gomez, and that just goes to show how weak this crop of guys is off the bench for the Pelicans. Hernan Gomez actually has a pretty solid PER, but we just couldn't in good conscience go with him. He's only averaging about 14 minutes per game, so just cheating a little bit here, going with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And the big problem for Alexander Walker is the shooting. He's only averaging 46% true shooting. That is abysmal. He is just terrible shooting the ball this season, and he's got an 11 PER as a result. But nonetheless, the counting stats are pretty solid. 13.5 points per game, nearly 4 rebounds, and 2.5 assists. So the production is there. It's just the shooting that has been the real struggle for Alexander Walker. And if he can just get that a little bit more efficient, he could really be a valuable player for the Pelicans. But as of right now, he is not really contributing that much to winning basketball, but he was really the best option that we had. And then finally, for the San Antonio Spurs, we have the sophomore Devin Vassell. He has definitely been their sixth man of the year so far. The obvious other option would be Lonnie Walker IV, and they've actually got pretty similar stats. Vassell is 29th overall in terms of the traditional stats, whereas Walker is actually 32nd. So they're right there with each other. Vassell's just been a little bit better than Walker, though. Walker is a very inefficient player. He's got a 50% true shooting, whereas Vassell is 56% true shooting. He is a pretty solid three-point shooter. He's got a 16 PER. That is really impressive, better than several guys who are ahead of him in this list in terms of the traditional stats. Uh, in that regard, he's not that impressive. 11 points per game, nearly four rebounds, and one and a half assists in 24 minutes per game. He has not started a single game so far this season for the Spurs. So by the end of the year, I think this one will be the same. I think Vassell will remain as the sixth man of the year for San Antonio. And next up, we can move on to the Northwest Division. For the Denver Nuggets, we have Bones Highland. For the Minnesota Timberwolves, we have Malik Beasley. For the Oklahoma City Thunder, we have Mike Muscala. For the Portland Trailblazers, we have Anthony Simons. And for the Utah Jazz, we have the reigning sixth man of the year, Jordan Clarkson. All right, so some scorers to be sure off the bench for these teams. Bones Highland, the rookie, getting the nod for the Denver Nuggets. The other option would obviously be the backup point guard, Facundo Campazzo, or perhaps Jeff Green or Jermichael Green, but actually Jeff Green has been starting plenty of games recently with all the injuries that the Nuggets have been dealing with, so Bones Highland is kind of getting this award by default. He is actually at the bottom of this list in terms of guys uh, that were eligible that we were looking at. In terms of the traditional stats, they're not going to blow you away just nine points per game about two rebounds and one and a half assists but he's got a 15 per 52 percent true shooting and he's doing it all in only about 16 minutes per game so definitely some room for improvement here for bones highland the dynamic scorer off the bench for the nuggets i think going forward throughout the rest of the season with the depleted roster that they're dealing with i think he could carve out even more of a sizable role for himself so definitely a player to watch going forwards or perhaps for the next couple of seasons for this award bones highland and then next up for the Minnesota Timberwolves, we have Malik Beasley. Now, he has actually disappointed quite a bit so far this year. I would have expected him to be lighting it up off the bench for the Timberwolves. 
but in 25 minutes per game, he's only averaging 11 points, three rebounds, and about two assists per game. He's got a 10 PER, which is one of the worst out of all these players that we're looking at here. And he's shooting, he's got a 50% true shooting. So all those numbers are a little bit underwhelming. But the thing about the Timberwolves is that they just don't have very many other good options off the bench. Nas Reed was definitely their sixth man of the year last season, but he is not putting up nearly as gaudy of stats this year because Carl Anthony Towns was absent for a long portion last year, and that allowed him to boost his stats a little bit. And then you've also got Jaden McDaniels, a player who I thought would have taken a big leap this season. He's playing about 25 minutes per game, and he's only averaging about six points per game and four rebounds. That is really disappointing for him. He's only got a 46% true shooting. That is really disappointing. And then another player that was in consideration was Josh Okogie, but he just has pretty awful traditional stats. So by default, it pretty much has to be Malik Beasley for the Minnesota Timberwolves. As for the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's going to be Mike Muscala. Again, for these teams that are at the bottom of the league, there's not a ton of good options for sixth man of the year because if they were that good, they would be inserted into the starting lineup for a struggling team. But Muscala has been pretty solid for the Thunder in limited minutes. He's only playing about 14 minutes per game, so that's actually the least out of all the players that we're looking at here today. Uh, Muscala is averaging eight points and three rebounds in that time. He's got a 21 PER. That is really impressive. 65% true shooting. He is just shooting the lights out. He is really hot from three this season it feels like every once in a while there's like a three for three from beyond the arc game for Mike Muscala but ultimately he was just the pick by default because the options were quite limited off the bench for the Thunder to say the least you've got Kenrich Williams or Derek Favors or even Alexei Pokashevsky or Isaiah Roby but none of them have done quite as much as Mike Muscala so far this year as for the Portland Trailblazers, we've got Anthony Simons. He has really been carrying quite an offensive load for the Trailblazers with a lot of the injuries that they've been dealing with. Dame and CJ have both been in and out of the lineup, so Simons is playing 24 minutes per game this year, and he's only started three games, so he's definitely eligible, but he's averaging about 12.5 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, 2 assists. He's got a 15 PER. That's not bad at all. And he's got a 57% true shooting. His offense has always been his strong suit. The defense is where he really struggles. But I think he's improved enough on offense that he makes up for it on the other side of the court. The other options would have been Nasir Little, who is playing pretty well this season. Eight and a half points per game and five rebounds. And then Larry Nance Jr. I would have expected him to be the front runner for this award for this team coming into the year. But he's kind of struggled. He's only playing 21 minutes per game. And he's averaging about six points and five rebounds in that time. So he has been in inserted into the starting lineup recently, so we'll see if he continues to get that starting out or if Robert Covington steals his spot back, but nonetheless, a little bit disappointing so far for Larry Nance. And then rounding out this division, we have Jordan Clarkson in Utah, the reigning sixth man of the year, and once again, he is one of the top contenders. He is averaging 15 points per game, three rebounds, and two assists. Uh, he's shooting 50% true shooting. That is not exactly the most efficient. 15 PER in 25 minutes per game. He's played 27 games, has not started a single one. So he'll definitely be eligible for this award, but he is not even in the top five so far this year in terms of the traditional stats. They're all down. The shooting is just a little bit less efficient. The three-point shooting was just on fire for stretches of the year last year, especially to start last season, and then he cooled off just a little bit. But this year is kind of a continuation of the last portion of last season. 
And frankly, I hate to be a negative Nancy, but that's really more in line with what he's been throughout his career. Not super efficient, scoring in bunches, but not doing it on a consistent enough basis to really warrant like a starting spot. So I think that start to the season last year, unfortunately, was a bit of a mirage. It was good enough to get him sixth man of the year last year, but he is definitely not in the running so far this season for the award. All right, and then finally, we can move on to the Pacific Division. For the Golden State Warriors, we have Otto Porter Jr. For the LA Clippers, we have Isaiah Hartenstein. For the LA Lakers, we've got Carmelo Anthony. For the Phoenix Suns, Cameron Payne. And finally, for the Sacramento Kings, we have Buddy Heald. All right, so starting off with the Warriors, they've obviously got several guys who would be eligible for this. They've got Andre Iguodala. They've got the rookie, Jonathan Kaminga. They've got Nemanja Bialica, Gary Payton II, even Juan Toscano-Anderson. They've got a ton of good options coming off the bench, which is part of the reason why they've been so successful this year. But in my humble opinion, Otto Porter Jr. has been the best of the bunch. He's just been the most consistent. He's scoring about 7.5 points per game, nearly 5 rebounds, and 1 assist. He's got a 15 PER. That's pretty solid. 60% true shooting. That is really impressive in just 19 minutes per game. He's played 24 games. He has not started at all. Like I said, there's a lot of other guys that you could point to on this team, but none of them play a ton of minutes. Like Gary Payton II would probably be the per minute six man of the year, but he just plays very few minutes. And so ultimately we just had to go with one. It came out to be Otto Porter, but it could very easily be uh, Nemanja Bielica or Jonathan Kaminga by the end of the year. We'll just have to see where the rotation evolves with Steve Kerr, but he generally likes to spread the minutes around quite equitably, so it could just end up being Otto Porter by the end of the year as well anyways. Next up, we have Isaiah Hartenstein for the LA Clippers. Now, this might be a bit of a controversial pick because... Like the Memphis Grizzlies, the Clippers have one of the most deep benches in the NBA, and Hartenstein's stats don't exactly jump off the page. He's averaging about 7.5 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, and 2 assists in just 16 minutes per game. And there's a couple of other guys who are really good options as well. Terrence Mann is one of the toughest omissions in this award. He is one of the, uh, he's the 17th player in terms of the traditional stats amongst players eligible for this award. He's averaging nearly 10 points per game, nearly five and a half rebounds and two assists in 28 minutes per game. He's only started four games so far, so he is eligible. And in light of his playoff success last season, he would probably be a lot of people's pick. Then you've also got Luke Kennard playing very well off the bench as well in 28 minutes he's averaging 11 points per game three and a half rebounds two assists he's got a 60 percent true shooting so really good options in canard and man but ultimately we've got to go with isaiah hartenstein and it's the advanced stats where he really shines specifically the shooting 68 percent true shooting that is one of the best in the entire league he's got a 24 per that is also one of the best in the league and he at one point earlier in the season i'm not sure if this is still the case but at one point he had the big biggest gap between his field goal percentage around the rim and his opponent's field goal percentage around the rim. So he is absolutely having a fantastic year, especially defensively blockading the rim. And so, like I said, it might be a bit of a controversial pick, but I'm going with Isaiah Hartenstein for the LA Clippers for sixth man of the year. As for their partners in the Staples Center, the LA Lakers, we're going with Carmelo Anthony, and this one's kind of the opposite of Hartenstein. He is more of an offensive guy, stuffing the stat sheet in terms of the traditional stats, especially the scoring. He is averaging 13.5 points per game, four rebounds, one assist. He is shooting 40% from beyond the arc. He has got a true shooting percentage of 58%. 
He's got a 14 PER, so the defense, once again, is the struggle for Carmelo Anthony. But nonetheless, they are just asking him to come off the bench and fire away, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's scoring efficiently, and that's really all you can ask from him at this point. And frankly, this is another case where there's just not a lot of good options to pick from. You've got the rookie Austin Reeves having a remarkable season, but he's not really playing that many minutes. And then you've also got Malik Monk, who I would have expected to be one of the contenders for this award for the Lakers, but he has kind of disappointed just a little bit so far. I was expecting him to take a step forward after coming over from the Charlotte Hornets to the big market franchise, the Lakers, and really fill in that bench scoring role. But he has not exactly progressed much from his days in Charlotte. He's just still sort of a streaky, inefficient guy coming off the bench. And then you've got a couple of other guys who I would have expected to be in contention for this award for the Lakers as well, who have actually seen the court yet in Kendrick Nunn and Trevor Ariza. Both of those guys, I think, might be in contention by the end of the season, but they have neither of those guys have seen the court at all. So it's pretty much just Carmelo Anthony by default for the L.A. Lakers. Then for the Phoenix Suns, it's much the same as the L.A. Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies. They've got a ton of really good options. It was hard to pick just one. They've got Cameron Payne. They've got Cameron Johnson. They've even got Frank Kaminsky and JaVale McGee giving them really solid contributions off the bench, but ultimately we went with Cameron Payne, the backup point guard. He's just got the biggest role, the most responsibility coming off the bench. He's only averaging about 20 minutes per game, but he's scoring 10 and a half points per game in that time, three rebounds, three and a half assists. He's got a 12 PER, only 49% true shooting. So that's a little bit disappointing, but he's got a nearly 28% usage while he's on the court. So he's pretty much running the entire show, uh, basically backing up Chris Paul. And so, like I said, there's several other really good options JaVale McGee has put up really solid numbers in just 16 minutes off the bench. He's uh, averaging about 10 points and 7 rebounds. You've also got Cameron Johnson averaging 10 points in 24 minutes off the bench. So it really could have gone with any of those guys, the point guard, the wing, the backup big man. But ultimately, we went with Cameron Payne because it's kind of splitting hairs. But the degree of difficulty for what he's having to do, orchestrating the offense, backing up the point god himself, Chris Paul. So we went with Cameron Payne. And then finally, for the Sacramento Kings, we've got Buddy Heald. It almost feels like cheating with Buddy because he is obviously one of their best players, but he just comes off the bench, but he's playing 28 minutes per game. He's averaging 15 and a half points per game. That's actually third most out of all these eligible players behind just Tyler Hero and Kelly Oubre. So if the voting for this award ultimately goes the way it normally does, which is basically just to the highest scorers off the bench, then Heald will absolutely be in contention. He's also averaging four rebounds and two assists per game. He's got a 14 PER and he's shooting 54% true shooting. That's leaves a little bit to be desired, but nonetheless, the traditional stats are pretty hard to ignore. The Kings actually have a couple of guys who would be eligible for this, if not for Heald's gaudy stats. You've got the rookie Davion Mitchell putting up... Uh, nearly 10 points, two and a half rebounds, and three and a half assists uh, with, of course, his trademark tenacious defense. You've also got Terrence Davis, who has been lighting it up off the bench recently. He's averaging nine points per game. And then Tristan Thompson has been solid as well. So they've got several guys, but ultimately it's got to be healed. So that is it for our sixth man of the year selections so far in the season. Like I said, they can absolutely change going forwards. But as of right now, I think we've got a pretty good crop of sixth man candidates for each team. If you disagree with any of my selections, let me know. I'd be happy to take it into consideration going forwards if we revise this by the end of the year. But otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you'd like to follow the show on social, we are at NBA Recap Pod, or you can just search YouTube or Smart Speakers for NBA Recap Podcasts. And we'll be back tomorrow to recap all the action from today in the NBA. So until then, thanks for tuning in.